You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday afternoon. As you're joining us on the line, the phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater, and find Jaws on Twitter, at former intern Jaws. Guys, pain, pain. Justin Powell is transferring from Auburn. It was so fun when he was healthy. Obviously, we haven't seen him since, what was it, January. First couple of weeks of January. It it had to be within the first two weeks of January because it was within the first four games of SEC play. The last time we saw him was the first half against Texas A&M. He takes a knee to the face from Babatunde Akingbola, and there goes the career of Justin Powell at Auburn, which was honestly generating a lot of excitement from this Auburn fan base. And now he's announcing his transfer. I don't know if I've seen a transfer generate this much sadness across a fan base I don't I don't know if I've seen this at Auburn yet well it's because we saw so much potential from him uh in the in the first few games especially in non-conference play when it got into SEC play and you and I were talking about this earlier off air but he kind of he kind of dwindled out he wasn't playing very effectively he wasn't shooting the ball well um but he was still a star he was a star in the making here at Auburn and it's really sad to see him go initially I was a little confused because it looked like he was set up for success here with the Tigers but you know, if he's if he's going back to uh, the state of Kentucky, would not be surprised to see him make a move to maybe Louisville or Kentucky or somewhere in that region. But for me personally, I hyped this guy up the moment he stepped on campus. I said, "This guy." You said this guy was going to be a player of the year. Player of the year in <laughs> 2022. I stand by that. I feel like wherever he goes, he's going to be a star. He's going to be a fantastic player. I wish nothing but the best for him. But I'm really, really sad to see him go because he was my favorite. I mean, he was a fan favorite. People loved him. That's why everybody's so sad. I mean, they really loved him, and he was just a guy that played very well. I mean, you made the point that he dwindled a little bit in the SEC play, but there was just so much potential. You saw a lot of – he did a lot of good things when he was healthy and on the basketball court. You hate to see him go. I agree with Lance. I could see him going to somewhere like a Kentucky, like a Louisville, or maybe even somewhere like a Gonzaga. They typically try to find you know a couple guys they could transfer in and bring in some good veteran leadership down that. I don't know what the reasoning for this is, and I'm hoping it's... Well, none of us do, right? I'm hoping it's something good. Like, I'm hoping it's just maybe he decides that he needs somewhere else. He doesn't want to play... He doesn't want to be here in Auburn. Maybe he wants to go back home. Maybe he's homesick. Maybe he just You never know what personal reason someone could be going back home for. And I just hope it's some... I just hope it's nothing that's too detrimental. Because, you know, he had the the major head injury that was affecting his schoolwork. I'm hoping that he is well and in health and not struggling to a severity that it would force him out of the program in a way like that. Well, my thought process is it's either one or two things. It's either he's afraid he's not going to get playing time at the shooting guard position next season, 
or it's maybe academically, but I don't see that. I don't see that. I remember. See, I went through the full gamut of the stages of of grief (laughs) yesterday when I when I had my immediate reaction. And I think it could be more things than just that. I don't know if it is basketball related. It could be just all personal reasons. And I'm not here to judge what his personal reasons are, if they're valid or not. This is this guy's choice, and this is a year where you don't have to sit out if you transfer. So take that opportunity if things aren't working out for you at Auburn. You bring up those two right there, basketball related with the depth chart, but then on top of that, you go and you talk about uh, academically just because of the issues that were surrounding his concussion were preventing him from doing schoolwork. Bruce Pearl was talking about that. I my mind went to as soon as I got off air yesterday because this news broke with about four minutes left in our show we talked about it for a second and then we had to go off air and then the drive got the full the the drive got the full run with it for me my mind went to the NCAA in what way concerned that the hammer's coming yeah that that was something that didn't hit me until I actually text you what about 30 minutes and like 30 seconds before you texted me that I had just told somebody else that what if I was sitting in I I don't think that's what it is I don't think so either yeah I don't think so either but that's where the first you know the pessimistic outlook came from I was sitting in the drive-thru at the bank and it just for whatever reason clicked in my head said oh that would be bad if that's the reason why at least from the Auburn perspective and I hope that's not it I've seen a couple things that... But you would expect other players to be yeah. leaving as well. You, so. would ex- you would expect to see a lot of more people put their name in Now, if more guys that. do transfer, then uh-oh. If those breadcrumbs. If we see one more guy transfer, I would I would be a little concerned, to say the least. I would, I would maybe hit the panic button. But I think my mind went there yesterday because we had a call to open up the show with Trill yesterday that brought up bruce pearl getting auburn in trouble supposedly and so i'm over here like thinking that already that was where my mind was going to and we've also seen south carolina receive their decision recently i feel like this is the off season that we find out what happens to auburn i don't know if it's going to be decimation or if it's going to look like what south carolina got but you hope that it looks more like what south carolina got considering auburn went to auburn went further than anybody else in punishing themselves for chuck person's involvement and the 2017 corruption scandal of college basketball. And right now, but we don't know, we don't know if there is a notice of allegations inside the Auburn basketball program because that would change your perspective of everything that Auburn's done so far with self-imposed bans, right? We don't know that. And Auburn's not entitled to make that public information. They don't have to do that. So we don't know enough right now about Auburn's situation in terms of their relationship with the NCAA. And we won't know because Auburn would have revealed that information to the public by now if they intended to do so. My line of thinking is that, just based simply off of frustration, this is what, 2017, 2016? I mean, this is... It was 2017 when it came out. This is what, four years ago now? This is years ago. And they still have not made a decision completely on on, on Auburn. And I, I feel like at this point... It's like if you haven't made a haven't decision, made one on LSU, you haven't either, made one on they've LSU. Got tape. <laughs> yeah, you haven't made one on LSU. We went ahead, punished ourselves, let it be. It was four years ago. Nobody really cares. All right, it's not like Auburn did anything with Purefoy and Wiley. If anything, they took an extra step and they sat them out. See, but you're taking this from the perspective that there's not a notice of allegations inside the program. You're taking this from what known information we do have from what was revealed to us through the investigation about Chuck Person. But what if there's one inside the program? 
Yeah, what if and it's they could more be, than just yeah. the Chuck Person stuff. What if it's stuff on the same level as what Louisville's dealing with right now, where they actually had recruiting violations? That's what I'm coming from right here. We don't know. There's a lot of teams that have brought up that there's a notice of allegations inside their program. USC, I think TCU did it. Louisville definitely. Louisville's it's a real some is in a real bad spot because of what Patino did. So there's there's that side of it that we just don't know. That's why I've been super reserved about talking about Auburn in terms of their relationship with the NCAA right now because we don't know if there is a notice of allegations inside the program until you know the NCAA decides to come out with the decision this is taking a really long time but we don't know what they're ciphering through if they're ciphering through the the Chuck Person stuff well like I'm with you 100% because Chuck Person was rogue according to everything that you see that that's been reported and Auburn didn't benefit from in it from it whatsoever. They didn't benefit at all. Chuck Person did, but nobody else did. And then Auburn sat out the two players that were involved in that as well. And they sat out for over a year. So I'm not I'm with you, man. I I don't think Auburn I think Auburn should get exactly what South Carolina got if it's just about the Chuck Person stuff. But yep. if there's more I would still be surprised if there is more because the NCAA just took a deep dive into the program with Sharif Cooper and everything that happened, right? So wouldn't they? I don't want know to if they went into a deep dive with the program. With I think they were just examining his relationship, I guess, with Ex- his father. I thought they were just kicked back on a recliner, just ignoring the issue and just letting it kind of roll That's around. Fair. Just they kicking do that. that can down the road. They do that. I don't feel like they're they're being very fair to Auburn right now. Of course, when are they ever fair to anybody? No, of course, like you said, we may it may come out and just a few weeks here that there's another underlying issue in the program but again i would be surprised if there was and if there is then i like that you're optimistic my man if there is <laughs> then we can go back to what trill was saying with bruce pearl the other day about like okay, then i think you reevaluate the situation reevaluate the situation yeah, if because there's this something, would be yeah. time number what three that auburn's been investigated by the ncaa in some shape or form under Pearl because it was with Purifoy and Wiley with Cooper and now it'd be another thing. If that yeah, if that's true, then you really need to reevaluate. There were multiple things with Purifoy as well. There were two things. There was when he originally stepped on campus, but I don't want to turn this discussion that down that negative route because Bruce Pearl's been a good thing for Auburn basketball and investing into the community. So that's once again, I'm not getting that's into a, hypotheticals on that. That's a conversation to have if, if it happens if it happens. So with the Justin Powell thing, I was thinking about this yesterday. Maybe this is an inkling, and it could this this could be a stretch because it's just something I saw yesterday. Maybe this means that Sharif Cooper is going to the NBA, and Justin Powell just doesn't want to play point guard. Maybe he wants to go somewhere and play too. Maybe he doesn't want to be. I disagree like with that, that stance like, because I'm, it's just a hypothetical. It could be. I don't think that's the reason either. I'm he was just perfectly that, fine with playing point guard this year. Yeah, I, I mean, think it made him a better basketball player. He was playing well. I agree. I agree with that I'm just saying that that was something I saw and was just you know bringing that up. Maybe that is a potential reason. I don't think that's the case because again, he played I'll, he played good at point guard. I'll flip that. I think it may be more of an indication that Sharif Cooper could be coming back, and he might be worried about getting playing time see that's the thing is like if he steps onto the court it's like okay i'm gonna be a shooting guard well auburn has four other, four other guys that can fill that spot how much playing time are you gonna get it's like oh well he started wanna... on the bench this year let right. me remind everyone that and it's like well i want to play point guard it's like well we have one of the best point guards in the country coming back and he will be playing 35 to 38 minutes a game how much playing time are you going to get and so he may just be saying all right i'm out because you have to you have to factor in playing time for Devin Cambridge, Alan Flanagan, Trey Alexander, this coaching staff really likes, and a lot of analysts out there really like. If you guys will remember, before Sharif Cooper, Auburn was running 10-man rotations. Auburn was, early this season, when Auburn was fully healthy, 
they were running 10-man rotations it didn't it didn't happen until Sharif Cooper and Justin Powell go down that Auburn's lineup significantly shrank to seven or eight or seven players so there's a there's a lot of guys in this rotation that have to get minutes I think Lance is on to something here possibly with a bit of a, a bit of a log jam on the on the depth chart you also have to think about like okay Jamal Johnson is is coming back as well so if Cooper comes back oh, yeah. instead of Jamal playing back up point guard all the time he's the veteran he's the senior he's gonna get that start most likely you'll play more minutes than Powell at the coaches shooting guard are position. going to feel some type of allegiance to a player that's been there with them for four years that is going into that fit well uh, Jamal Johnson would be like five years in college basketball at that point he also made big strides toward the end of the year right we haven't seen you know Justin Powell play since I thought Jamal Johnson was much improved coming into the season and I think he even improved even more throughout the year Jamal Johnson into the year you're right on a high note so and I was his biggest you know critic and I was and I'm over here singing praises that he has definitely improved over this year and as Lance likes to say he became a more round player as the year went on everybody gets around as the year goes on. <laughs> everybody gets around during the pandemic trust me <laughs> it happens oh well now we're taking that in a, in a different direction in terms of weight gain but i'm, I'm dieting a promise <laughs> mama but that's four guys there at the shooting guard position and at point guard potentially that would be playing either the same amount of minutes as powell or more and he might be behind the curve more than we think not right. to mention how many guys are in the front court jt thor dylan cardwell jabari smith not, Who else am I leaving off? Baba Tunde. Not a lot of small lineups are going to be active when you have guys like that on this the team. This is one of Auburn's biggest rosters. Am I leaving off a big? Am I, I forgetting somebody? I don't believe so. Not you, that I can Yes, I am. Jalen Williams. Jaylen I left Williams. off the most important one. Dang. What is wrong with me? So there's five guys right there. Sting, you could have helped me out, my man. I guess you forgot to. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> As he sticks his tongue out, how cute. Jack, Jack Pilgrim at Jack Pilgrim KSR, a Kentucky beat writer at Kentucky Sports Radio, tweeted this: Kentucky, Louisville, Duke, Gonzaga, Virginia, UCLA, Georgia Tech, and Memphis are among the schools expressing early interest in Justin Powell. Sources tell KSR the Auburn transfer will have his choice when it comes time for a final decision. Officially entered portal today oh that's the easiest one to predict he's going to the duke the dukies if he goes to duke that's gonna if i'm okay with that i'm the only one of these that that i'm hurt by is if he goes to kentucky there Uh, has to be some type of chip on his shoulder for kentucky not recruiting this dude right if he goes to memphis i will hate everything and i will disregard him memphis Memphis? because i don't like we talked about this at lunch the memphis basketball like the auburn and memphis basketball rivalry is kind of heated up in a weird way on the recruiting trail is recruiting and it's a lot of twitter it's a it's a whole lot of twitter fingers that have made this a kind of a rivalry that we see now well in the southeast when you're talking about recruiters nate oates bruce pearl penny hardaway oh yeah those that's why those guys are all in the mix We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Lance Dahl on Twitter, at former intern Jaws. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well, at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Wrapping up this Justin Powell conversation here real quick, guys. 
Last thing, how does this affect the roster? Some people seem to be freaking out about this. I actually don't think it's a big deal. I hate it because the guy is super talented and he was a fan favorite. He had swag. You loved watching him play basketball. You absolutely loved it. But I actually don't think this affects Auburn's roster too bad. I don't think it affects Auburn's roster at all. Well, they literally have his replacement already coming in, Trey Alexander. Right. Well, my thing is I go back to to the reason that I believe he left, which is he's not going to have enough playing time, which we've talked about this a ton. It's a really good problem for Auburn to have. Well, now we've kind of solved that problem by one guy go ahead and say, all right, I'm walking out the door. So Also, at- I totally forgot to bring up Jabari Smith as another guy coming in out of last uh, out of this class coming in and that last segment I was talking about bigs I didn't even include Jabari Smith as one of the guys already on the and, roster and I don't think so. saying he's going to be the one and he's always going to be on the court Auburn so. is the deepest team in the SEC next year with 12 guys that can go deep and do and and they all do something well so it's not like Powell's leaving and it's like oh Auburn has a hole to fill the hole was full to begin with it's just yeah there wasn't a hole there, there wasn't there, there, there wasn't, wasn't a hole. hole it was a mound and so we just <laughs> took took a little bit of dirt off the top and put it somewhere else and Auburn still Auburn's got too much talent at that shooting guard position still so I'm not I'm really upset that he left he was my favorite player but you know it's not it's not a, a huge loss because Auburn has replacements I thought he was gonna play though mm-hmm. I give me Justin Powell over Devin Cambridge any, any day. day of the week oh, 100% 100% it's not even close and Bruce likes him, I believe, because of his defense and just his athletic ability. I I counter that with shooting over 30% from three. Give me Justin Powell over Jamal Johnson any day of the week. I agree. And the ability to, to spread the ball around the floor efficiently. Cambridge can't do that. Cambridge can't handle the ball well. He was averaging like seven assists a game, Justin Powell was. I'm just saying, like, Justin Powell really was the best two guard on Auburn's team. So it does stink from that perspective. But now you got Trey Alexander coming in who can do a little bit of that too. Trey Alexander mimics a lot of what Justin Powell brings you. May not be as good of a shooter, but he's somebody that can give you a a traject or a really high development trajectory turned into a Bryce Brown type. If y'all remember, Bryce Brown didn't come in, you know, setting the world on fire. He could shoot the three well, but that was about it. And he really developed every step of the way across the course of his career. So let's wrap that up now. Justin Powell news it's in the past we'll see what happens moving forward nothing's going to happen to Auburn's roster the only thing that Auburn might do this offseason in addition to the guys coming in right now is go find a grad transfer a grad transfer guard I would imagine a point guard Auburn doesn't have a backup at point guard right now so they they will probably a true backup a true backup like I mean you have guys who have played you have Jamal you have Jamal you have Flanagan which we're hoping never has to play point guard again I agree with that I find like a maybe a mid-major school or a guy who's at a power five, a lower power five, and wants to kind of get his name out there. I think I this hurts Auburn more if the Justin Powell transfer hurts Auburn more if Sharif Cooper goes to the NBA. But I'm not going to sit here and think that this Auburn coaching staff was blindsided by this like Auburn fans were. This coaching staff, like he had to have had discussions with Bruce Pearl and other folks. It's not like he just woke up the day after or two days after Auburn's season ends or three days, three days after Auburn's season ends and says – yeah I'm transferring guys I'm out like you had to have thought that there was gonna be some type of discussion about it this coaching staff is prepared for this I'm sure and they've got some type of plan I'm feeling more and more confident that Sharif Cooper is coming back to Auburn for sure could be wrong but I think yeah you've it's all gut feeling I have no inside information no source on that it's just my gut feeling I'm now moving more onto like 55 percent 60 percent that Sharif Cooper's coming back to Auburn it just makes a lot more sense now if you look at it from the perspective that you're thinking that Justin Powell wants playing time and he might not get it. And I also don't think that he blindsided this coaching staff. No. No, I think he there was there had to have been talks about this, you know, going on throughout the season towards the end of the year. 
He, Auburn's going to be hurting, though, if Sharif Cooper doesn't come back because oh, no, now they have yeah. no ball handlers. Then you're going and out. They're going to have to go and get two. two grad you're going for two grad transfers at that point. No, I think Justin Powell, I think they knew, they saw the writing on the wall. I think, and it, he did as well. I think he sat there and he saw, hey, I haven't been getting to play because I've been injured and I'm kind of falling behind on this depth chart as it's currently constructed. And then you got more guys coming in. It's very I possible, might, though, that maybe he just wanted to go home for personal reasons. That, too. He might, he might have. He might have not liked it down here. He might have not liked, you know, Auburn because he wasn't playing basketball. He might have just kind of gotten a feel for might be the atmosphere. The atmosphere. He might have been homesick. He might have wanted to go somewhere else and been more of the guy, and he's not going to be the guy next year if Sharif Cooper comes back, and especially with Jabari Smith on the roster. Auburn baseball last night toppled UAB with some late-game heroics. Ooh. Levi, you and I talked yesterday saying that we didn't think that it was going to linger, the Boston College loss on Sunday. We didn't think it was going to linger going into this game. I don't think it did linger. I think UAB's pitcher hopped on that mound and he delivered. He had a 1.590 ERA coming into the matchup. Auburn's bats were asleep. That's characteristic of a lot of midweek games for folks. Then they woke up in the eighth inning. If Auburn had lost this game, I would have came back on today's show and been like, yeah, the Boston College loss lingered. They picked up the pieces and moved on last night. It wasn't easy. UAB was catching Auburn at a low point. But they did find four runs in the eighth inning when they were down 4-2 to end up pushing this thing. Uh, they gave up another run after that eighth, uh, that four-run eighth inning for the Tigers. They gave up another run, but they end up winning 6-5 to over UAB. I think this is a big win for Auburn. It's one of those wins that – so one of the things we have seen Auburn struggle with has been – getting something going late and kind of just letting it kind of go we saw with Oklahoma where they this got is reverse the of what happened with Oklahoma and Boston College yeah I mean they were up what one to nothing you go into the sixth inning you give up those four runs to UAB and it's kind of the opposite typically you've been in charge the whole game and then someone comes out two run two well Auburn was, was up good. 2-0 against UAB in this game and then UAB comes back and puts it up 4-2 and, and Auburn was quiet at the plate for a long time after they had gotten their first two runs Oh, yeah. I mean, they were quiet up until – I mean, you what, you got one – It I'm was 2-0 in the second inning. They scored one in the second and then one right before UAB went on that four-run you know, that four uh, run inning, which I think was in the – The second yeah, run the came six. in the second inning. Yeah. So, I mean, they were kind of quiet. And then instead of getting out to a lead, blowing it, and just kind of losing all momentum and just kind of letting the game get away from them, they stepped up, and it was good to see them do that because we saw what happened with Oklahoma when they were up in that game and they blew the lead. You, Everybody knows what happened with Boston College on Sunday. You're up in that game, you blow the lead in the ninth. It was good to see that the Auburn baseball team showed a little gusto. They showed some guts. They showed a little bit of prowess, and didn't. they didn't just fold. It's a midweek game. I wouldn't have blamed them if they would have been you, – you can understand it's a midweek game. You're playing UAB. You're in Birmingham. They kind of shock you. You're hanging your... I like, would be downtrodden if Auburn had lost this game. I think this game was so big for momentum moving forward. This is a game you have to win. When you say on Sunday after you lose to Boston College and you say we've got to pick up the pieces and move on and then you let you lose a midweek game, these are the types of games that hurt your RPI at the end of the year. These are the kind of games that just hurt your hurt your team momentum. and It, hurt, it, it just hurts that... What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? The morale. It hurts the morale around the dugout because you're sitting there going. Auburn doesn't need to be wow. fighting morale going into this weekend against no. Arkansas Little Rock. They need to have already closed the book on what happened this past weekend. And with this win over UAB, that's in the past. Now the last thing that they've experienced was a win against UAB instead of a loss to Boston College or a loss to UAB, which further puts you down on the dumps because you were recruited to play baseball at Auburn University and then you lose to a smaller school 
where those guys have chips on their shoulder. I think you were saying this yesterday. Those guys wanted to play at Auburn. They didn't get the chance to. And then you get beat by them because that, that's got to make you feel worse after what happened. That compounds with the Boston College game because you feel like you should beat them. You don't want to be searching for yourself going into the weekend series. You want to already have put them behind the pass. That's why this midweek game, I feel like, was Auburn's most important midweek game that Auburn has experienced so far. Another note about Auburn's pitching staff, a combined 15 strikeouts between these three pitchers that that went on today joseph gonzalez had seven k's hayden mullins had eight brooks fuller made an appearance but did not record an out he gave up three earned runs three total runs on one hit and two walks he only faced uh let's see according to this it says he had he had one at bad and that was it he's got a 14.85 era this year a little disappointed Mm. with brooks fuller at the moment especially with him being one of the veterans of this staff. He's been in the program for quite some time. But let's set that aside. Joseph Gonzalez and Hayden Mullins, especially Joseph Gonzalez. Joseph Gonzalez is showing that he's another arm that this depleted pitching staff can maybe go to on a weekend out of the bullpen because he's doing so well in the midweek. We see Trace Bright do so well in the midweek, and now guess what? He's a starter, and I think he's probably going to be a starter for the rest of the season on Sundays, regardless when some of these guys get healthy. Greenhill, Fitz barnett two of those three guys are going back to the pen owen will be a owen will be a weekend guy and then one of those three guys that i just named greenhill fitz and barnett one of those guys will be a starter i don't know which one but and you know it could be fitz fitz could end up going back to the pen because he has not been impressive this year either but unfortunately greenhill and fitz they're not 100 percent right now greenhill's looked good when he's been out there as a starter i'm kind of I, i would rather see fitz go back to the pen then see Greenhill go back to the pen. And that is not where my stance was going into the regular season. Not at all. At this moment, I 100% agree. I would rather see Fitz go back to the bullpen simply for the fact that he we've been underwhelmed by him. We've been underwhelmed by his performance. He's gotten shelled in the last two appearances. And Greenhill looked great when he was you know healthy yep. and playing in the Round Rock Classic. He looked like a, he looked good. It, Oklahoma I mean, it, was a good baseball team. It's, I mean, also Richard Fitz. He has been a little hurt. He's got some nagging injuries going on. You don't want to really hold too much. You don't. I hope that that's not... Let me. I hope that the injury is why that we've seen him struggle. I hope it's not for the fact that he just hasn't gotten it. But I mean, again, you you hitting the nail on the head. Gonzalez, impressive midweek starts. You've got Trace Bright who's coming on. He's earned himself a weekend role. I think he's the Sunday guy moving out. And, and Gonzalez is going to earn, and he's already been in this role to a degree because I believe we saw him on the Friday game against Oklahoma in the Round Rock Classic, and he did pretty well. You're going to see him more out of the bullpen in the future Auburn's deep Auburn's deep these are that's the silver lining but they got to get past some of these injuries they gotta get healthy (laughs) gotta get healthy on the other side of this break we talked with Zach Blackerby of Locked on Auburn podcast you don't want to miss that conversation stay with us here on on the line stay on the line more of the show when we come back You're on the line with Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. And as he does every Wednesday and joining us on this fine Wednesday, we've got Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast. Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. How you doing today, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. Always appreciate being on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. You guys uh, are the best. And yeah, surprisingly, there's a lot going on that we can talk about. Unfortunately, yesterday, the Justin Powell news broke as we were going off air. I mean, there was literally four minutes left in the show when we see 
right. Justin Powell is expected to enter to enter the transfer portal, and that sense has been confirmed. What what was your immediate reaction to Justin Powell taking off from the planes? Um, my immediate reaction before I talked to folks was, I wonder if he thinks he's going to be buried on the depth chart if he were to come back. Because there's a lot going on at the wing position for Auburn going into 2021 with Flanagan. What does Jamal Johnson do? Devin Cambridge clearly has earned the heart of Bruce Pearl. And then you're expected to get some guards in the transfer portal this season because that's what Auburn needs going into 2021, assuming Sharif Cooper leaves. And even if Cooper stays, they may go that route. And we also knew going into it that somebody was going to have to leave just from scholarship standpoint uh, because you needed more guys and you only had the Cooper scholarship and the Turbo scholarship, according, uh, you know, assuming Cooper were to leave. So now you got three with this, so that kind of, that kind of helps answer a few questions. But um, and then I kind of guess, like, is there something going on outside of basketball? And, you know, if the concussion was as bad as he thought or, you know, that it, made, it was made out to be, um, like, that's a pretty scary situation. And so um, I don't think it actually has to do with any of that when it's all said and done. I think there were personal reasons and he just needs to go back closer to home to take care of a few things. That's what um, I've kind of been told. I don't think it has anything to do with NCAA stuff. I don't think it has anything to do with playing time. I think he just needed to do what was best for his family, and I think that was for him to, to go to a school closer to where he's from. You bring up the NCAA, and we've recently seen South Carolina kind of what feels like get off the hook because it's they're just on probation, but they accepted all of their self-imposed penalties, which – didn't even include an NCAA tournament ban, but Auburn was one of the primary schools implicated back in 2017 because Chuck Person was one of the main guys implicated in the investigation. I know that you, that it's believed that this isn't that this doesn't have anything to do with the NCAA, but where do you think Auburn's at with that right now as we finished another basketball season and hoping that Auburn can put this behind them? I think Auburn can go to the NCAA and say, hey, we have done more to, to hurt ourselves than anybody else has been wrapped up in all this junk with, with Austin Wiley and with Danielle Purifoy. I mean, Danielle missed uh, like a season and a, and a quarter, which is, which is crazy. And now the self-imposed postseason ban this year, I think that's, um, that's going to be enough for the NCAA to say, okay, well, we don't want to punish teams anyway, so – this will be fine. This will be great. And I think Auburn's done more than they needed to do in all of this. And a lot of folks are going to say now, well, Auburn wouldn't have gone to the postseason anyway. And I think if, the, if, if Cooper would have played all year, and I think if, if there was something to play for going into SEC play, I think this team develops differently. And these young guys that are still kind of getting their feet wet in the SEC, I think they uh, have more focused approach to all of these games, especially the games on the road. So uh, I think I think Auburn's done enough, but the NCAA has been so inconsistent and so all over the place, it's impossible to tell. And it's also, you know, it probably won't, I don't think we'll know for sure for another two years or so, because that seems like they, they, they kind of drag their feet for everything. So the whole thing's a disaster. The NCAA is the worst, and they do everything they can to, to hinder college athletes. I've asked a couple of people this question up to this point and, and trying to close the trying to close the book on the college basketball season for Auburn, but we saw a, a ten to twelve point jump for Alan Flanagan in points per game 
what other player on this roster going into next season could we see make an Allen Flanagan-like jump in player development? I think it's JT Thor. I mean, this is a guy that's supposed to be a senior in high school. He reclassified for this class kind of late in the process. And Auburn kind of swooped in and, and got him. And you can tell he wasn't super well-versed in Auburn's culture or anything like that because when he announced on his Instagram Live, he was like, go War Eagles or go Eagles. And it's like, okay, <laughs> JT, we'll, we'll come on. So, I mean, he was just so early in the process, right? And then he started playing college basketball as a guy that was supposed to be playing senior high school basketball. And you saw him get better over the course of the season with his length and his athleticism. I think you're going to see a huge uptick in his defensive ability. And his offense, I think he's going to be more efficient and more effective, but also I think just he's going to get way more opportunities in next year's role. And also with guys coming in like Jabari Smith, I think both of those guys are going to kind of play that 3-4 role combo. And when they're both on the floor at the same time, I think all the attention that Jabari's going to get, I think you're going to see a lot of one-on-one situations for JT Thor. He's going to be longer. He's going to be better, going to be more athletic than a lot of these one-on-one situations that Bruce Pearl is going to be able to create for him offensively. So, yeah, JT Thor is my no-brainer answer here. You personally really loved Anthony McLemore. I remember when he was a freshman and you and I discussing him as a basketball player. You loved Anthony McLemore. Do you see similar qualities and possibly a young Dylan Cardwell right now in terms of his player trajectory? Wow, so he makes one three, Noah, and you're ready. Uh, you're, you're, you're already going to say he grows into that role. We'll have to see. Um, I think they're a little different. I think as far as the makeup of a roster culturally and their roles in the locker room, I think he's going to be loved by every Auburn fan for a very long time, and I think his teammates clearly loved him. I mean, the reaction on the bench when he made his three on Saturday – was probably, I mean, it, it was one of the highlights of the season for me. I thought that was a really, really cool moment, and I'm glad it was him. He was having fun with it. All the other guys on the floor with him were trying to act like they were super focused. They didn't want to, like, be uh, too uncool and celebrate, you know, or laugh it off. So, uh, But as soon as they called a timeout, they all went right to him, and it was a lot of fun. But as far as their roles and what they develop into, I expected Macklemore, if you would have asked me this when he was a freshman, projecting what his role would have been, I thought they would have put more weight on him and then, you know, turn him into kind of a banger inside. And that didn't happen. I think Cardwell is going to be a lot more similar to what Austin Wiley was for Auburn than Anthony McLemore was for Auburn. I don't think Cardwell is going to be as efficient from the outside as McLemore. I don't think he's going to be asked to shoot at all from the outside. What about Bob Atunde? Um, we've, seen him, uh, we've seen him pop a three, at least early in the season we did. He, he really hasn't done anything offensively since SEC play started, but... Early in the year, I think we saw him stretch the floor a little bit. I don't think we know. I don't think we've seen enough about him offensively because his typical stat line is he's like one of three or two of four from the floor for like four points and you know, maybe gets to the free throw line a few times. I don't think we know. My gut reaction is I think he's going to be an inside guy as well. I think Auburn has done such a good job getting these really talented fours, whether you put JT Thor there or Jalen Williams there or Jabari Smith next year there. And all these guys could be, you know, players three to five if they were to be developed a certain way. So I think with what you bring into the power forward position, I think that's going to stretch the defenses enough to where you don't really need that three-point presence from your five like a Macklemore did. 
And I just don't see either of them developing into, you know, good outside shooters. That's just, that's just, my, re- that's just my gut reaction, though. Speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast here on this excellent Wednesday afternoon. Zach, trying to close the book on this college basketball season here for Auburn. What caliber of team do you think Auburn is entering the 2021 season? I think they're a top 15 team. I think when you're the youngest team in college basketball, and that was kind of their weakness, we saw it time and time again, and you pair that with also a reason to fight and a reason to play for something, I think you're going to see a huge boost in production on both sides of the floor for this. And you already saw Auburn's defense starting to round in the form, really, ever since they lost to Florida. They became a much better defensive team. And that's typically, you think back to those tournament runs that Auburn had, that's really when Auburn likes to peak. Bruce Pearl sets his teams up to peak defensively around this time of year. And they were doing just that. It's just they didn't have the offense to go along with it. So I think you're going to be able to carry a lot of that momentum into next season. Obviously, that's going to be a huge deal. And then I think you look at the development of each individual player. It's like, okay, JT4, I think, will be better next year. Stretch Bola, I think, will be better next year. Dylan Cardwell will be better next year. And you look at all these individual guys, they're going to get better. And also, I expect Auburn to bring in some really talented grad transfers or JUCO guys at the point guard position to where Auburn won't be in a situation where they have to put a small forward at point guard or a shooting guard at point guard. I think Auburn's going to be much better prepared for, uh, for their roster and potential setbacks than they were this year. So all in all, I think they're a lock to finish as a top 15 team next year, but the sky is the limit, really. The sky is the limit for this team as far as how talented they could be in 2021. Switching gears to football here, we got a question on yesterday's show about Auburn's defensive scheme and kind of just the philosophy behind selecting schemes in college football. And the question was essentially this, paraphrasing here, it seems like there's a trend in college football. Teams are more balanced. Teams are more spread out. Teams are throwing the football more. Wouldn't you, going into this new coaching staff, going into selecting you know, your base defense and whatnot, See, Kevin Steele ran a lot of nickel. Auburn said they were a 4-3 team. I don't buy it because they had really three down linemen and then a fourth pass rusher, but that's neither here nor there. The question is, would Auburn is Auburn truly going to move into the 3-4 or are they going to try and select a system a little bit more akin to the nickel to try and match what other teams are doing in college football this year? Or do you think the 3-4 is the key to stopping SEC offenses? I think – any defense can be good in certain situations. And so I, I think with what Auburn's going to be able to do defensively, a 3-4 could also look like you have a guy walked up, much like Auburn did with that, that buck position. Now it's a stud in uh, Derek Mason's defense. So you may have that. You may have four guys going, you know, lined up on the line, but one of those is technically a linebacker. And then if you look at your linebacker, so you got three guys that are standing, you know, three or four yards off the ball, but one of those guys is Owen Papo and he's covering a tight end in the slot. All of a sudden you look at it, it's like, oh, this is the same thing as the 4-2-5 that, <laughs> that Kevin Steele ran all the time. So I think you're going to see from a personnel grouping, you're going to be able to do more things with, with the guys that Auburn has recruited, like Owen Papo. Where's Wesley Steiner been? I think you're going to see more of him because he can do multiple things. Brian Harson's approach to this game, and you know Justin Ferguson said this a million times, his approach to football is he wants to be ready for everything. 
He wants to be able to pull out anything on game day and make the opposing team have to react to it. And so I think you're going to see Auburn run a 3-4. I think you're going to see them run a 4-2-5 in nickel sets. And I think you may see different guys doing different things like, you know, especially like, okay, is this guy a defensive end or is he a stand-up defensive end? You know, there's also that 4-3 outside linebacker in pass rushing situations. Like Derek Hall, is he going to be a 3-4 defensive end where he puts his hand on the ground, you know, ahead up the tackle or just outside the tackle? Or is he going to be listed as a linebacker where he can rush the pass through on third and nine? You're going to see a lot of moving parts on this defense. And so is their base going to be a 3-4? Probably. Probably so, but you're going to see multiple guys going after the passer. You're going to see multiple guys in coverage, and you're going to see these guys all over the field, and I think that's exciting because what does that then have to make you do? If you're an offensive player and there's going to be a lot of turnover of the quarterback position in the SEC next year, and when you break the huddle or you get the call and you're, you're reading the defense, you want college kids at any position, but especially quarterback, you want them to have to make decisions time and time and time and time again because the more decisions you force people to make, the more likely they are to mess one up. And I think you're going to see that a lot. You're going to see a lot of you know who's coming and who's going as far as linebackers on blitzing. You're going to see a guy that that was dropping back in coverage, you know, for the first you know, I don't know, thirty or forty snaps of the game, and then all of a sudden they're coming at you. It's just stuff that. You know, guys are going to have a hard time reacting to all of this. So, uh, but to answer your question, is Auburn going to run a 3-4 next year? Yes, I think they will. We've talked a lot about the defensive line, how it relates to the other position groups, like linebacker or defensive back, and how it can make those units better. On this defensive line, who do you think is the best player coming back? Um, are we counting Derek Hall as a defensive lineman? Sure, that's where he lined up last year. Yeah, if he plays defensive end, I'll say him. I think... Uh, I think Truesdale is going to be interesting in this role as a, you know, that true nose tackle. Cause that's more of what he is. He's not really a shade. He's a head up zero technique kind of guy based on his size. So I think, I think that's the guy you got to look for. And then, um, I don't know. I expected a lot more out of, uh, Dre Butler last year. You know, can he take that step? They want to scoot him inside. They bulked him up a little bit. And, you know, during his recruiting visits, he told reporters that their recruiting pitch to him was, okay, you're going to be the next Marlon Davidson. And I think this guy would be a really good 3-4 defensive end because he's a bigger defensive end. He's going to be able to hold his own in this two-gap system that Auburn's going to have with his odd front. And I think, uh, I think he's going to have the size and the ability to kind of handle that. So I'll, I'll throw Butler out there as well. Last question here to you. A few moments ago, you, you put out there that the SEC is going through a lot of turnover. We talked about that on yesterday's show about turnover at the quarterback position in the SEC. Who's the best returning quarterback coming back? Because when you look at the class of guys coming back, it's pretty much Matt Corral, Bo Nix, Connor Basilak, and JT Daniels. Am I forgetting anybody else? No, I think that's about it. And uh, I'll go with Corral just because of the system that he's in. I, I think he's in the, the situation to succeed the most. Uh, but JT Daniels, I mean, you look at who's around him and the offensive line he's going to have and the running game support he's going to have. And he finished the season strong. I mean, JT Daniels is probably going to be throwing for over 300 yards a game in 2021. I mean, he's, he's in a prime situation to get things done. So I'll say if, like, if it's all in a vacuum and all these guys are going to be in the same system, I'll say JT Daniels. But Matt Corral is going to have a really, really good year. I've seen some stuff out there that you're super high up on this Georgia team going into 2021. 
Real quick thoughts on that. Yeah, I think they'll they'll you know make it to Atlanta and and lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game again. But I do think they they pay Florida back from last year, and I think they they kind of solidify themselves yet again as as the number two team in the SEC. But they bring back a lot of parts. They bring back a lot of dudes, and you know NFL scouts are going to be all over this Georgia team this time next year as far as one different pieces of all of these guys. So, um. There's just not really a weakness on this team other than the fact that, you know, Kirby Smart, no one does less with more in college football than Kirby Smart. And, you know, eventually he's going to just going to have so much talent that it's not going to matter what he does. They're going to break <laughs> through, you know, the, the Alabama wall. And this year seems to be the, the year that they're most likely to do it. Am I going to put money on them winning it all? No, I still think they get second in the conference to Alabama when it's all said and done. But, They've got a good. Uh, they got a good shot at as you know anybody else does in the country. Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all the great stuff you're putting out. Yeah, locked on Auburn. Wherever you get your podcast on a uh, on today's show, I talked with Anthony Schwartz, uh, of course, former Auburn wide receiver, about um, his time at Auburn, the Auburn offense, what he thought of it, what NFL teams think of it, and you know, how he's preparing for the NFL. So be sure to check that out. Locked on Auburn, wherever you get your podcast. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, Lance Dahl with you. Wrapping up hour number one. Big thank you there to Zach Blackerby of Locked on Auburn Podcast for joining us. If you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Before we wrap up the first hour of the show, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's the debut of the fifth season of The Masked Singer on Fox at 7. Following it at 8, the all-new show Game of Talents is on. Some movie selections for tonight, a pair of action thrillers come on at 7, Law Abiding Citizen on AMC, and The Born Identity on BBC. You can take the girl out of Alabama, but you can't take the Alabama out of the girl. Sweet Home Alabama is on Freeform at 6.30. We're full-fledged into conference tournaments in college basketball. Kansas State versus TCU in the Big 12 tournament at 5.30 on ESPN. Also at 5.30, but in the ACC, Duke versus Louisville on ACC Network. Minnesota and Northwestern open up the Big 10 tournament on Big 10 Network. Moving to 6, Texas A&M and Vanderbilt start off the SEC tournament on SEC Network. At 8 on ACC Network, Notre Dame versus North Carolina. Penn State and Nebraska will be on Big 10 Network as well. At 8.30, Iowa State and number 25, Oklahoma wrap up the night. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV today tonight <laughs> levi i know you're pumped man man i've got the mass singer tonight i've got duke basketball who's clearly going to beat louisville tonight i mean this is a great night for me i'm is excited this the battle of the is this the justin powell game whoever wins gets the signature or the, is somebody else going that way no, he's the going justin he's, powell bowl the, he's going to duke regardless duke's about to win their favorites tonight by the way in case anybody was wondering against a tournament team, i think they should be favorites they're gonna win they're gonna beat them frauds of Leonard, leonard hamilton and them boys and then last they're time be they played the they lost in overtime revenge never forget you saw that you saw that tweet <laughs> i sent out yesterday revenge game and then you're playing against frauds then you're playing north carolina which is going to be revenge then you're playing virginia frauds easy turn dukes in the tournament after that you're easy, really duck. down on the acc man no i'm just high on duke <laughs> best basketball team right now better than better than gonzaga imagine matthew hurt and justin powell on the court at the same time Woo! isn't that like i i don't know that's i'm sad still very sad but 
that's it for hour number one of On the Line. I'll take this break to get better. And then hour number two is coming up. Hear more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stay with us, everybody. You are On the Line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Garner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dahl with you in the house on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Oh, by the way, out on Facebook, Twitter, and on ESPNAU.com. Find analysis, news, and more. Once again, that's ESPN 1067. Also, follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. Also, on the line, the drive with Bill Cameron analysis, news, and more. All of that on Fox Sports 983.com and on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM on your radio dial. We're opening up hour number two here with our A Day depth chart series. As promised yesterday, I said today we'd be going through wide receivers. Once again, to remind everybody of what we're doing every week, we'll do this once a week all the way up till April 17th. We are on track to hit every single position group all the way up until A-Day if we do once a week. And we're on receivers this week. We've already done quarterbacks, running backs, and tight ends. Now we're on to our fourth group of the offense, and we are on to receivers. And what we're doing is we are predicting the depth chart going into A-Day. So no freshmen that are not on campus, none of them, they're not allowed on the depth chart. And today, we are doing a position group that we have had the hardest time evaluating, mainly because of the mass exodus of players. Once again, another disclaimer about this is, this is just what it is going into A-Day. This is, we're going to do this again over the summer, and we are going to evaluate these guys going into fall camp during that summer period, you know, when it gets to be around media day and whatnot. We will revisit this once some of those freshmen get on campus, because that might change things a little bit. Also, this depth chart very much so subject to change as the year goes on because I said Shiver is probably a number two in this offense, but eventually Devin Barrett overtakes and becomes the two. And we both agreed with that notion that we think that we're high. We're high on Devin Barrett, you know, taking some good strides throughout this season. I don't think he goes into A-Day just simply for the fact that he has been playing the position for a while and then Sean Shiver's got a little bit of veteran. You just plug him in on A-Day and roll with it. So here we go. Without further ado, let's get into wide receivers and – the receiver group, it's most players other than offensive line on the offensive side of the football. There's three different positions that you typically evaluate when you're looking at a receiver core or a receiving core. You've got the X receiver, which is your split in. He's the guy who split out wide. He's your number one outside receiver. Then you've got the Z, also known as a flanker, or it's your second best outside receiver. Sometimes they have different roles than what the X, than what the X is. Typically, they're, they're some of your faster players. And as a number two in the NFL, if you're evaluating that way, Auburn kind of used it in different ways. They had Eli Stobe there sometimes, they had Anthony Schwartz there. So that's that's what the Z looks like. And then you've got the slot, 
which is called many different things in different offenses, but we're just going to call it slot because that's how everybody else hears it. So you got the X, the Z, and the slot. And let's start off with the X position. Guys, who do you think is going to be the number one outside threat for Auburn football this year? I think it's either going to be... See, Auburn's got three different guys that I feel like we haven't really seen stretch the field, but we've seen it in glimpses. I think we've seen, obviously, the bowl game. We saw Canyon have that really long touchdown. We, uh, we've not, never seen Shedrick Jackson do it. We've never seen Shedrick do it. I don't think we've seen Capers or Hudson do it either. I've seen Hudson ca- catch a couple of fade routes that make me believe that maybe Auburn's going to use him a little bit more on the outside. I think I've got to go with Canyon there just simply you think canyon's the number one over at the x i think i think i'm gonna go with oh, canyon wow. because he's the only guy that i've seen actually have that ability i'm here for the hot takes bring it yes it's, it's funny because i that's exactly what i was thinking. yes i thought i was gonna come in and get to oh. throw the hot take out and now now i gotta roll with lance i think canyon just based off his size he fits a prototypical x receiver the only thing he's lacking is a bit of you know we haven't seen it a lot from him. We all, we have a one. He game did it sample, in one game. One game sample That's size it. against a good defense. Let's let's not take that out for it. But we don't really know. I he think, really has two plays against that defense. Yeah, as exactly. Well. Two plays. I just think based off a of size alone. I'm not trying to go with go too in depth right here with that. I just think that Elijah Canyon looks like a prototypical X. And he's I think six he's, foot four. I think he's talented. I think he's fast. He might not be this for a day. He might not be this for a day. But I would not be surprised that if some point in the year. There is a swap again that if they realize later on that he has something, it's either him or Kobe Hudson for me. Maybe even Xavion Capers if you really want to get into it. He's got the kind of size for it as well. I just think Canyon looks like the X for me. If I was looking at him purely from just stature standpoint, he looks like the guy I want running my X. Your prototypical split out wide X receiver. He's going to be tall. He's going to be physical. He's going to be fast, and he's going to be able to win downfield passes in one-on-one situations with defensive backs which means they're gonna have to be stronger and physical they're this like physical specimen that can do all these different things and I'm 100% with you I think Elijah Canyon lines up at the X this year but I don't think that he's the number one outside receiver I don't think that's where he's going to I don't think he's I, I I think he ends up being the second guy to line up at the X I'm going with Shedrick Jackson as the number one X receiver on this team and it centers around his run blocking I love what he does with his hands and how he blocks that's what you have to be able to do that's also another factor being out there split out wide because when plays run to the outside or if screens are thrown out there if you're you know doubling up with twins he's the guy who's going to be blocking he's not your bubble screen pass catcher I love what he brings to that element of his game first of all and he developed that before he developed anything else I told you on yesterday's show that I always get fooled every year by Shedrick Jackson or you know every year I feel like I'm like guys this is Shedrick Jackson's year this is it he's such a great run blocker all he's got to do now is finally get targeted and he's just been caught behind the other three guys that were in this that were in this receiver room with Eli Stove and Anthony Schwartz and Seth Williams he was never able to get on the field because Almer just used those three receivers they really didn't rotate out a whole lot Shedrick Jackson although he comes in at six foot he's not as big as Canyon is or, or maybe even Xavion Capers who's also at 6'4 I love his his toughness he's physical he he's he's relatively fast I just love how big and physical he is people have talked about his body since he's coming out of high school as being you know ready for the college game he looks like uh, he's somebody that you don't want to mess with like I, I'm gonna stay out of that dude's business if I'm a cornerback 
and I don't think he's going to be pushed around. I think this coaching staff is going to absolutely adore him for those qualities, and I think they're going to adore him for being a veteran. And from a cultural perspective, Coach Harson is going to value him a lot. It sheds time to shine. I I, I agree with everything. I understand you're why about it's that. hard for you guys to get there because we haven't seen him be a consistent pass catcher for Auburn's offense. You're one hundred percent right. It's the exact same way with the you know the points that we made about Canyon. We haven't seen well. Capers and Hudson have been more involved in this offense from a pass catching yep. perspective than Shedrick Jackson has. And when Jackson's gotten on the field, I'm looking at SEC Statcat right now. He has a 46 uh, percent catch rate on accurate passes, and he has four drops. He had four drops last season. Uh, so that's definitely a concern for me. Obviously, like you said, very physical receiver, can block in extremely well, but my concern is, is he going to be a legitimate threat in, a, in this passing offense? Will he actually be able to catch these balls? And, like, again, you can't be too quick to say no, look at one year and say no, because we still have not gotten to see a lot from these guys. I mean, he only had 15 targets last year. It's not like we've seen a ton from this guy. We need, we need more film on these guys before we can make a solid prediction and so I'm not mad at your prediction for Shedrick Jackson. I'm just saying the numbers that we do have don't necessarily reflect his ability to stretch the field consistently. Sure. But I'm not mad at it because there's not enough to, to say that confidently. And, and there's not enough to go off any of these receivers confidently. Not a, not a single one of them. So well, that, I've already told you guys like, that I think Canyon's too, and it's for all the reasons that you guys said. I think he's a prototypical X in this system. I think he's a guy we've already seen the speed because we saw it in the in the Citrus Bowl against Northwestern. We saw him able to stretch the field. That's how we scored a touchdown. He's got top end speed that I think can blow the top off of a defense. He's also big at six foot four. That's going to allow him to be physical in those one on one situations down the sideline. You guys are hundred percent right there. Who's y'all's number two? Is it Shedra Jackson? At the X, yeah, I'd probably put Shed behind Canyon. Yeah, I'd say I'd throw him at number two behind Canyon as well. It's either, so we're just flip-flopping. Yeah, I think so. It's either, yeah, I think that's the most logical. I'm trying to look to see if there's anything that I'm missing with that. I think this coaching staff, then, if, if these are the two that we're looking at, I think Capers could line up out there. You just never know. I, I put Capers in the slot, and I'll get to that later. I mean, I'm sure, I'm, sure all three of the, I'm sure all three of those guys at some point, especially Canyon and Capers, I think they will run X at some point whether it's whether they are prime you know whether they're the number one guy or not i think they will have a lot of they'll have a lot of routes coming out of that x as well as shed jackson and shedrick jackson is lined up in the slot a lot so is capers and hudson has appeared a lot of times at the flanker and also in the slot they just haven't that's, that's been where auburn has like defaulted to put a wide receiver at if they weren't super comfortable with them you know shouldering a big load i think this coaching staff's going to trust shedrick jackson a lot because he's a veteran I think he's going to. I think Shedrick Jackson in the spring and in the summer, without having played in an actual game, is going to be able to cultivate trust and get on the field. Maybe more than Elijah Canyon will be able to. But if Canyon's playing, he's a beast. And people should be excited about that. Because if Canyon ends up taking the X role, watch out. Because that guy, we already saw what he can do in, the, in his home run ability in the bowl game against Northwestern. Now see what that can look like across the, the the entire span of a season. I think this is also going to be really fluid in terms of where you see guys lining up. Because one hundred percent, the you versatility don't, you don't see, especially in the NFL game now, and Harson kind of brings that more so of a style and at least like an approach to the game. I think you don't see receivers who are just this. They're just an X. They're just a Y. They're just a slot. Sometimes you do. They're in, mainly so with slot receivers. I think Gus Malzahn was pretty rigid. Yeah, I think he was like, hey, you're here. Hey, you're here. I didn't think... That's why the route tree was so bad. I didn't see a lot of fluidity. I think a lot of these guys have a lot of versatility, and I think they will line up 
at different positions throughout the year very, very frequently, which that bodes well because that's just what the game is, especially if you look at the next level. You have guys who are number one receivers on their offense who will line up at the X, who will line up at the Z, and who will line up in the slot. It's just more of a positionless approach, at least positionless approach within the position, if that makes sense to anybody out there listening. Well, I was well. There are multiple wide receiver spots at the yeah. wide receiver position, you know, and there are receivers with different qualities that make them better than others. I mean, there's possession receivers, there's speed demons, you know. There's there's all different kinds. I was telling you guys off air that we know who the top four guys are in the receiver room. It's Kobe Hudson, Shadrick Jackson, Xavier Capers, and Elijah Canaan. Those are your top four receivers. After that, I don't think we're going to see too many of the other guys that often those are the four that are going to play the most it's just what and where and in what order and where do they line up at right and I think you're going to see all four of those guys a lot to where it's not going to matter and Levi you're hitting on it I knew going into this that it was going to be hard to evaluate where these guys lined up at because like I said already Shedrick Jackson and Capers are primarily lined up at the slot they both aren't going to line up at the slot guys there, one of them's going to line up at the split, or is going to split out, and the other one's going to go to the slot. That's how that's going to work. But what we've discovered, or what I discovered when I was doing this depth chart, I was like, look, Auburn's got a lot of versatility, and there's going to be positionless football at wide receiver. Guys are going to move in and out, as you said, with fluidity, and I think that's a huge boost. I hadn't thought about that with this receiving core yet. The, the narrative that has dominated the conversation about Auburn's receiver room is that they've lost a lot of talent, but there's a lot of these young guys who look like natural wide receivers. Nobody has talked about the versatility that this unit brings to the table, and it's mainly because they've played at other positions than what they will be playing at this year, I think. Capers at six foot four looks like an outside receiver. He's played in the slot. Shedra Jackson capable of playing on the outside because he's a talented run blocker, but he's primarily appeared in the slot. Kobe Hudson, he can do a lot of different things as well because he's probably Auburn's best shorthanded pass catcher and so just there's so much versatility amongst this group they're going to be able to rotate around and go to and go to some different spots I think Canyon's pretty solid at the X I don't think we're going to see him move to too many other places I think that's probably about it for him but those top three receivers Cedric Jackson Canyon or excuse me not Canyon Capers and Hudson those three guys are going to be able to rotate in and around the field and that versatility is something that I don't think we've seen at wide receiver yet for Auburn because Gus Malzahn's been so rigid in his route trees and where guys line up you could just see oh this guy came on the field well you know what he's doing if anthony schwartz was on the field he was doing like one of three things a comeback route speed sweep or a go route what else was he doing nothing there was not one and you would have loved to see him run a drag route every now and then i feel like a little shallow cross or a drag would have been great for him get the ball you know let him use his speed and agility in open field but you just never saw that out of him hot take 2019 iron bowl i never want to see guys get hurt but I think Anthony Schwartz getting taken out of that ball game early forced Auburn to open up their offense. That may have helped them out in that ball game very well. That's true. I agree with that. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. We'll be back in just a moment. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Garner, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dawn. ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. What's on your mind? Once again, 334-321-1390. Continuing our football conversation here in our 8A depth chart series about the Auburn wide receiver room. It's our depth chart going into 8A. Today's edition is wide receivers. We just wrapped up the X. 
in some order between Shedrick Jackson or Elijah Canyon. I'm on the side of Shedrick Jackson as the number one X guy. You guys are on it with Elijah Canyon, and I understand it. Canyon looked good in the bowl game, and he's your prototypical X receiver if I've ever seen one. I even wrote down in my notes here, is there even a more natural physical fit than Canyon at the X? I don't know. I don't think I so. Don't know. I don't think so. He looks exactly what you want out of that X yep. receiver. Now, I think that adds a little rigidity to it. I don't know if he gets to move out of the X ever, but you may not need to. Let's move on to the Z then, which is called a flanker, or it's really just your second outside receiver that lines up on the opposite side of the field. This past year, we've seen Stove and Schwartz primarily line up at that position. They do different things. On NFL rosters, typically this is your speedster. And Auburn used it as such as well. This was Anthony Schwartz a lot of times. And then other times we'd see Stove coming out of the slide. Maybe sometimes Stove would move over there to catch a bubble screen. So there, there were multiple options, but that was primarily how Auburn used the position last year. Would that be how Harson and Bobo use it? Uh, probably not, but I would imagine this is going to lend a hand to more of a speedster than what we've seen in the past. I mean, it's typically, if, you, if you're if you an NFL person, it's typically your Deshaun Jackson, your Brandon Cooks. That's where they're lining up, that fast guy. I mean, those guys also could line up in the slot, but... You see a lot of them, a lot of times, those guys can really do a lot through that Z position. Jarvis Landry. Yeah, Jarvis, oh, yeah Jarvis Landry is a good example, but too. But he's also an excellent slot receiver. You know, Jar- what's funny is Jarvis Landry can end up being your best receiver, could end up being a wide receiver one across the NFL at a lot of places, and him line up in the slot for a lot of teams because that's how they, they you know, they don't want him getting you know jumped at the line of scrimmage they want to move him off the line and, and let him and let him play out of the slot so and that's what's and that that really just lends a hand to what we were talking about in the previous segment when we were going through this the slot and the z kind of go hand in hand sometimes typically you have guys depends on what you've got but if, yeah if you have guys who play the z well with their speed they can also play slot it's usually not vice versa if you have a true slot guy he's usually not playing z but your Z receiver can also play in the slot sometimes. We've seen Schwartz come out of the sl- uh, out of the slot a couple of times, and you can see that. And I mean, with this receiving group as fluid as they are, and they look like they can play multiple positions, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a revolving door around Z and slot a lot of times. I was solidly this is my this is my guy here. There was I, this was the easiest one for me to put in. Kobe Hudson, number one guy over at the flanker position. That's who I have as well. I have Kobe Hudson sitting over there at the flanker. Lance, that's a Z. Yeah, I yes. would agree. I would agree. So He'll look fill at that, that we, role. We finally got a, we, we, we agreed. There we go. I, I, I think I don't think he is going to fill the Anthony Schwartz role because he obviously does not possess that level of speed. I think he fills more of the role of what Eli Stove did. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think Auburn used Eli Stove wrong as well, or they didn't fully explore what Eli Stove could have provided Auburn. Eli Stove was the most sure handed receiver on Auburn's team. He's one of the most sure-handed receivers we've seen in Auburn's programming in quite some time because he didn't have a drop last year. But they just wanted to use him for sweeps. Right, and screens, areas where you know you can't fully exploit the fact that this guy has sure hands. You'd think you'd want to you you know, get him really involved. Got, he was a possession receiver. You didn't really get to see him as a possession receiver for the most part. You didn't get. He to wasn't see- overly shifty either, so why in the world would you want that over on screens? Didn't quite make sense to me why Auburn insisted on getting him the football that way. Because once again, I feel like his skill set was short to intermediate passing game in between the hashes. Auburn selectively just wanted to get Eli Stove the football outside the hashes on screens and stuff like that. I just never quite made sense to me about that for Eli Stove to be used that way. I think he's going to more so fill the role that Eli Stove did than Anthony Schwartz. Does that mean I think Auburn's going to exclusively use him on screens? No, because I think this coaching staff 
has I think this coaching staff is a little bit more of a modern and up-to-date route tree and route concepts and stuff that will accentuate their skill sets of their players we've talked about this a lot it's like pro style passing game inside a spread offense and I think that's going to mean for Auburn that guys are going to be playing in between the hashes across the middle of the field in the short to intermediate game if you're talking about 15 yards and lower Kobe Hudson is going to thrive as a possession receiver in this offense he's not going to blow the top off of a defense with speed because he is more of a possession receiver but he's shifty with the way Harson and Bobo's passing games are oriented this guy could end up being the leading receiver for Auburn next season and you can see that and there's not really and there's it's not a knock to say that he's not you know the speedster that Anthony Schwartz is because he possesses I'll say it the track star speed but nope not a receiver on this Auburn roster really wows you with their over-the-top speed you have fast guys you have guys who can get in and out of cuts but you don't have anybody who you're looking at and thinking he could take the top off somebody they're fast guys but they're just not world beaters with their speed so it's not it's not the biggest thing in the world to sit there and think oh yeah he's not going to be that kind of guy but Kobe Hudson could have a really productive possession oriented type of season if he plays that Z position that we're expecting doing that short to intermediate pass range I could I could agree with that I could see that he would be he could end up being the number one receiver. Well, you talk about uh, the Z position. You just said uh, being the guy for the short and intermediate game. You could see a guy like Capers play the Z position as well, I believe. I mean, five of his nine catches were literally right in the middle of the field from the the, the 10 to 20-yard range. So I think you could also see him line up at the Z as well. I think it's more likely we see him at the X if it's going to be at one of the outside positions, which to remind everybody, the X is your split out wide, number one outside receiver that you're going to be throwing bombs to. You know, I expect more of that. It's your Seth Williams. I, I see more Seth Williams and Capers than I do maybe with him over at the Z. Your Z is typically not as physical of a receiver, maybe as what your X is. And so that's why I don't necessarily see Capers there. And Capers at six foot four, he can be an absolute beast out on the outside. And he could very well line up on the outside. And Shedrick Jackson, for me, could end up in the slot. Those two were pretty. I think Auburn's going to shift those around. If you're talking about speed, Canyon maybe as well over at the Z. If they wanted to get uh, you know bigger receivers, you know maybe if they wanted to put Capers over at the X and then over at the Z also have Capers and or excuse me Capers over at the X, Canyon over at the Z. I'm getting the C's mixed up there, guys, and then just you I know think, send everybody downfield. But that's I, tough. I, yeah. I don't think that's where the offense trends to. But I don't think so either because that's their Auburn is not going to turn into a vertical passing scheme either. I don't think so. I don't. I just they don't, don't have a quarterback that, that can do that consistently. Agreed. And I think that's why this stays more intermediate. But yeah. if, if, if for whatever reason they do shift to a more, you know, vertical passing offense and that's the way they want to go, you a would Big not, Ben Pittsburgh Steelers type of, type of offense. You would not be surprised to see the C's out on the outside with Caper and Canyon. If this offense ends up transitioning into a vertical passing game, I don't think that happens. But if it does, that's where you're going to see those guys. Who's the backup, guys? Backup at the Z. I'm going to go Malcolm Johnson Jr. I like that. He's fast. He's a speed demon. I he's, think. he's probably the fastest guy that we have, if I'm not mistaken. On the rec- in the, in, in the, rec- court, in the yes. receiving core, yeah. yeah. I, I, Javarius John- I, put, I put Malcolm Johnson Jr. or Javarius Johnson. See, yeah, I'm I not, think those I'm are the guys. That. But I don't think we see either of those play that much. No. no, because I think that if you're looking at who the true number two is, it'll be one of these guys. Like I think you'll see a different guy in, this, in that core four that I think might I think both of there. these guys are at the absolute bottom. If I was ranking the receivers... From like one to what have I got here? I've got six receivers right here. If I was ranking these guys at five and six, yeah, I've got six receivers here. I'm trying to figure out where I'm at. Yeah, five, five and six. If I was ranking that right here, I would have um, 
I would have these guys at five and six, and it doesn't really matter because, look, they're not going to unseat Hudson. You're going to try and have Hudson on the field as, as much as you possibly can, and I don't think they slot in anywhere else. I don't think that they overtake Kayla Newton, who we'll get to later because of experience. I think this coaching staff is going to value leadership, culture, all that stuff, and that's going to get Kayla Newton onto the field more because of his experience. I think they're going to have a hard time getting past Elijah Canyon, who's shown it on tape. These two players haven't played hardly at all, haven't hardly received any targets. I think they're at the bottom of the depth chart going into the spring. They have to have an impressive spring. Like they have to go, yeah. they, they got to wow some people and, you know, go into A Day after a while and the coaches improve to the fan base as well that they are the real guys. And I just see it where if you're pulling out that guy, you're going to put somebody else in. I don't think it's uh, – you might not even put one of those guys in. I think like, you could throw in a guy. You could move you know, Canyon over there or Capers or whatever and then just put Shed Jackson over there at the X and just kind of fl- you know, move these guys around fluidly, like we keep saying, and not really have to go to those guys. Wide receiver is so much like offensive line is – that you have, you know, like your sixth man on the offensive line, you have your fourth and fifth men in the receiving core. And so I think that when you're looking at this, you know, if I was pro- projecting a hierarchy here, you know, Kobe Hudson, Capers, Shedrick Jackson, Elijah Cannon, there's your initial group. After that, it's Kayla Newton, Javarius Johnson, and Malcolm Johnson Jr. And I think Kayla Newton is a step above Javarius Johnson and Malcolm, and Malcolm Johnson. I think he's a step above the Johnsons there. Uh, who, who are going to be playing behind those other receivers. And I just don't think you see those guys get on the field because you're going to put in, more oftentimes than not, you're going to get Canyon and Newton in the field before you're going to get those guys. Right. You're not going to take all three of your starting receivers off the field just to be able to go to those guys. I don't think we see them hardly at all. Right, and you talk, So I don't think it matters. You talk about having a really good game in A-Day. Like Even then, Johnson, both, both Johnsons could have a really good A-Day game, but you saw what happened to Matthew Hill. You saw him have a fantastic A-Day game, That's and true. then he, we just never saw him in the offense. We thought, okay, this guy's going to be able to do a lot of different things for Auburn. We saw him stretch the field on that crazy touchdown catch. We've seen him go for sweeps and little swings and screens. Maybe Auburn and Gus will actually use him, and then we never got to see him play. So with, a, with, with guys like these who are backing up the probably the best receiver on the field, even if they do have a great A-Day, which would be fantastic because that means Auburn has even more depth, I don't know if we would still be able to see him again this is a di- this is a different regime. It's not Malzahn, so Harson may want to be able to kind of throw these guys in different spots and just see what they do. But I don't know. What's unfortunate for them is Capers and Hudson both are freshmen. Yep. So it's not like you're going to be able. And to, those uh, guys are youngsters too. Johnson's a redshirt freshman yeah. after this year. Malcolm Johnson Jr. in a similar boat. They're all young. They're behind them, and I, I think they're squarely behind them. They're going to have a hard time. This is such a young. This is such a young group. And once Shedra Jackson graduates, Elijah Canyon's young too. Like, this is like all freshmen and sophomores. I I, I think the core that you've got right here is the core for the next two or three years. Mm -hmm. And we'll wrap up talking about that core on the other side of this break. We'll talk about the slot receiver position at Auburn here coming up on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Carter, Levi Fitzwater, and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we revisit the Auburn receiver conversation, Intern Sting had a wonderful question for us that prompted some excellent responses. Sting, what was that question that you asked us? All right, what is – we're going to stick with football here. What is an Auburn win – that a lot of people forget about that is really special to you? 
Oh, really special? I or didn't just think you said that. That just that people don't talk about enough. Yeah, that was a people, big well, one. It's, just, it's one that just sticks out. One yeah, that sticks that out remember. that you remember So I went into the Mississippi State-Auburn football history, and I just realized, to use a word out of Lance's book here, that Auburn football's history over the last 10 to 12 years would be dramatically different had Auburn not won these two Mississippi State football games. 2010, they kicked a game-winning field goal to beat Mississippi State or it was something like that. It was a very tight game in, in 2010. They beat Mississippi State at State's place. Auburn did not play well. I think the final score was only like 17 to 14. Can someone look that up though and, and, and make you, sure? Just fact check me to make sure I'm right on that. But it was a close game. Auburn doesn't win that one. How does that season unfold under Cam Newton? Because Cam really got better after those first two games. He really came along strong and developed in the player that we know. And then in 2013, the CJ Uzama catch. If Auburn doesn't win that game against Mississippi State that year, Auburn doesn't go to the national championship. Both of those seasons, if Auburn loses those games, does Auburn go to the national championship both of those years? Probably not. And it, they get overlooked simply for the fact that those seasons had more memorable moments games. than yeah. just those. Beating Mississippi State 17 to 14 on a Thursday night doesn't. So was that a game winning field goal? I was correct on that. 17 to 14, yes. Okay. Good. It's, it's not like it, it doesn't stick out because when you think of that season, you think of the national championship game. You think of the Alabama game. You think of the Clemson overtime thriller. The Kentucky, yeah. the Kentucky game where you think even also close. That one was close. You think but Alabama 65 points against Arkansas. And there was more. Yes. Like even the Kentucky game, which isn't as big. You th- there's the highlight from the game of Cam getting just obliterated as he's going out of bounds and slinging it what fifty yards down. What about the, field. the South Carolina game? That was pretty close. The South Carolina game was close, and there's and that has jump from the five yard line. Yeah, those have more memorable plays. This. This game in particular didn't have a memorable play, but it shapes that whole season if you lose that yes, it one. Does. And same for 2013. If they, if they, because they lose to LSU the next week, Auburn with two losses does not make the national championship that year. So then somebody pointed out 2011 Auburn Mississippi State. Who was that? Was that you? That Sting? was me. Yeah, goal line stand. I was on. I was in the little corner of that end zone where that pylon was, where Auburn stuffed them at the goal line. And that's just like, man, like, and then Levi, you brought up 3 2 in 2008. I'm like, what if Auburn lost every single one of those games? How do we view Auburn football if they had lost all of those close games to Mississippi State? Is Mississippi State like the thing that's holding the Auburn football history together? And is, I, Aub- is Auburn the it, thing that's the launching pad? <laughs> is Auburn the thing that's uh, holding Mississippi State from being a powerhouse? I mean, who knows? <laughs> My thing also is like another game that like wasn't necessarily important in terms of like if Auburn lost it, it wasn't the end of the world. But you think about 2016, the emergence of Cameron Petway. If Carryon Johnson does not go in, down in that game, how quickly do we see Cam Petway emerge as one of the better backs in the SEC? Which game are you specifically talking about? 2016 Mississippi State. Okay. I don't remember that one. I'm trying to remember that game. Desperately trying to remember that game right now. Yeah, that one just isn't sticking out to me in my head. Because I remember a 2015 Mississippi a State, game, which right? is when Sean White got his debut as a quarterback. We that lost didn't 17 go great. Nine. I was that at was that a, game. That one was yeah. Auburn won 38 well. to 14. They were they were three and two at the time. Um, they had just beaten they had just beaten LSU. LSU. That was one of the loudest I've ever yelled at a football game. Was after Auburn beat LSU. I was I was, I was a student. I was at that game, and it was like all the frustration that we'd experienced in 2015. And really, like the subsequent years before that, and lo- how we lost LSU the year before, and just like I, I screamed so loud. Real quick uh, note about that game: I actually left after Carlson kicked the last field goal, and so me and my mom were walking away from the stadium. We got a couple of blocks away, and then all of a sudden, we just hear like just an eruption, and the ground literally started shaking. Yeah, it was, that was so loud. loud. I'm like, 
oh, so something just happened. And then it went dead silent for a minute, and then everybody started screaming again. I'm like, we either just lost or won in a really cool way. When you're talking about loud moments for me in Jordan-Hare Stadium, and I was at kick six, I was at the prayer in Jordan-Hare, I was there in 2017 when Auburn beat Alabama and Georgia for both of those games. I was there in 2019 when Auburn beat Alabama. Unfortunately, I was there in 2019 as well when Auburn lost to Georgia the way that they did. Mm -hmm. I've been at pretty much every Auburn football game that's been at home for the last for, I, don't, I don't even know how long and I've, I've been at all these that LSU game it was not I'm not gonna sit here and you know create hyperbole or anything but it does join the ranks that 2016 LSU game you know everybody remembers that game where LSU thought they got it off in time with that second that was a loud moment for me I, I distinctly remember that loud being a different loud than most but back to the uh mississippi state game in 2016 cameron petway had 169 yards and three touchdowns in that game after carry on johnson went out with an injury so my question to y'all is would we have ever seen cameron petway emerge if had carry on carry on not gotten hurt because we saw what carry on h back right we saw what carry on was capable of doing just the next season so if carry on's the starter for the rest of that year and he continues to play well. Does Carryon Johnson win a Heisman? Does Carryon Johnson win a Heisman? Does Cameron Petway ever find his footing? We don't know. Probably Oof. not. Does Carryon Johnson get hurt the next year? Instead of that year. Instead of that yeah. year, maybe. <laughs> oh, or instead of the next year, or the year after, or the next. He's always or hurt. now. He's always now. hurt. No. Yeah. Forever questionable, Carryon Johnson. Forever that was an excellent. That was an excellent, excellent question because it's like that hot take I have about Alabama football's dynasty probably not being started had they not had the drive in 09 and Alabama fans just absolutely rail on Greg McElroy. And I'm like, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because we just don't have time for that. But I will gladly bring that up on another edition of the show because I love talking about that with people. But now we've just discovered that Auburn Mississippi State is actually, a, a it's had some cataclysmic moments in Auburn football history recently. So uh, so you're, you're, you were going with the Mississippi State games. Lance, what'd you go with? What was your, your big one? Games that people forget about? Mm, gosh. I think just I would pick any of the games that Auburn won from 2016. I'd either pick the Arkansas game from 2016 where Auburn ran, ran for 500 yards. I remember was I was at that one, and I remember looking at some of my friends that I was at that ball game with, and, I, and we were all just like dumbfounded at how this was happening because we did not expect it to go that way. I could also pick the uh, the game where we went on the road and beat a top 25 Ole Miss team that year in 2016. I believe it was 40-29 mm. was the final score. I think that was, was on Halloween, if I'm not mistaken. Or it, was, it was like either Halloween or the 30th. It, it was like right around that time. Auburn-Ole Miss, name a better combination for a Halloween football game. Right. It's always, it's always, it's always great. It's always a mess. <laughs> but I remember Cameron uh, breaking away. I believe it was in the second half, breaking away for just a really long touchdown and thinking... Oh, that was Cameron Petway's coming out party. Yeah, this is like... Yeah, he smacked them. I remember that. This is like peak Gus Malzahn offense. Even with a quarterback oh, that's... No, the, peak Gus Malzahn offense was 2014. Well, I mean, like, whenever you were able to run the ball efficiently. Like, yeah. I was I was impressed by it. It was unstoppable. Pepway was wild that night. I think he ran for more than a buck fifty. So you're right on that one with, with Cameron Pepway. Now, I, I remember watching his post-game interview. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember Levi, what is yours? I know got, you already brought up the 3 2 Mississippi State game. Don't <laughs> I've got a couple I've been trying to think of. Uh, Sting brought up the one that sticks with me the most, but I think that one's a little too popular with Auburn, Florida, 2006, just because that has a lot of nostalgia for like me, where I was watching it at. And I was watching it with my brother and my grandparents. That one was a big one. Auburn, that game will be forgotten about by the next generation yes. because our generation really wasn't. And people younger than us weren't, you know, paying attention to football back then. I mean, yeah. we were, but we're like the last ones to have 
everybody coming up now doesn't know anything about that game they're like that like you tell them the story you know Auburn won a football game where they didn't score an offensive touchdown and, and they don't they just don't know anything about it they don't understand Tim Tebow like was, college peak Tim Tebow well Tim Tebow didn't even, Tim he Tebow wasn't, peaked in college he wasn't even the starter of that game that was Chris that was a Chris Leak led team Tebow was the guy who came in on those goal line packages and also fun fact about that game Auburn covered because of the pick six late at the game as time expired just in Excellent. case anybody was wondering about that one but yeah if I'm gonna go with the one that nobody remembers. Auburn versus Alabama State. That one was a great one. 63-9 to <laughs> win over Alabama State. Why is it great? Because Auburn didn't cover. But and why another, is that a good thing? It's another It's another <laughs> great thing because think about it. If entertainment Malik, Malik entertainment purposes only. Had not taken that safety, would he have ever gotten in the headspace where he was just like uncomfortable playing quarterback? Would he have ever transferred? Would Which we have game ever, is this? Uh, Alabama State. Because Malik oh. Willis took that safety. Took that safety. And then ever since then, he was just a bad quarterback. And then he transferred. Would he have ever transferred to Liberty and, and we'll, become a great quarterback? Will we, have ever seen, will we have ever seen the dynasty that is another the thing, Liberty Flames? Okay. To note about the Ole Miss game, Chad <laughs> Kelly actually broke the Ole Miss single-game passing record in that game against Auburn and lost. What year was that again? 2016. 2016. 465 Impressive. passing yards, and he still lost. Uh, Sean White, 247 yards to the air. Uh, Cameron Petway, 236 on the ground. I remember how painful the 2015 Ole Miss game was to be in. <laughs> yeah. That was brutal. Kind of a dreary day. It yeah, was pretty Jeremy cloudy. Johnson got sacked on a Hail Mary. Yeah, man. Auburn was in some games back think, in 15 and 16 where they were like, yeah, let's chuck one up from, from midfield. Let's I, see if they can do it. I mean, 2016 Clemson, talk about pain. I think we need to re- – oh, Mike, 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 Mike Williams, good Lord. I thought Mike Williams was going to be the best receiver ever in the NFL from just watching him just absolutely – He did it against some good DBs too. That was that a good Auburn defense backfield. What do you have, like 260 receive? It was like – it was 250 plus. There was no way it was I left that game thinking 2016 Clemson, that was one Auburn lost – what did Auburn lose that one, like 17 to 9? I, I left close. that game thinking like – Wow, we've got a defense. Like this this is happening. Auburn's gotten good at defense. Nineteen to thirteen against Clemson in twenty sixteen. Oh. So I left this game thinking, wow, Auburn's Auburn's got a defense. But then I also left equally angry on the other side. I was like, we should have won so, that game. So now we've decided to have bad offenses on a consistent basis. Now that we finally get an elite defense, this is going to happen. I got I was so frustrated. So frustrated. It's like what every- <laughs> That was the that was Coxcat debut. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh-huh. I was about to say who remembers that was the that was the spinner play there's no there's absolutely no way that should ever be a formation in a football game at any level i don't care well you're telling me that a fullback spinning before he throws the football is a bad idea i know it's a hot take i know it's a hot take (laughs) that he shouldn't i think we should revisit this conversation later on except the worst wins that you remember from auburn history like go back through it at some point in time and remember like remember some of the wins that auburn had that just left you with like, you know, obviously joking about that three to two Auburn win. That one you just like just let, not even thrilled. Nobody was happy. You, you oh, it's over. You you're just like thank. I mean, we won, but I I don't ever want to see that. Like, I'm again. glad it's just over. <laughs> That's a good summer topic. I'm yeah, gonna when, log that. We're gonna put yeah. that in our file when we'll we're running out of to topics. It. Yeah, when we are you know in the middle of the desert summer of of college football, you're just waiting for the mirage that is media days. We'll be back with more of On the Line wrapping up the show on the other side of this break. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Last segment of the show here. Following us, it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron. Dan and Bill will be taking your calls. 
Be sure to stay tuned for The Drive with Bill Cameron on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama as they do every weekday following us from 4 to 6 p.m. Before we wrap up on the line here, going back to our A-Day depth chart series with wide receivers, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's the debut of the fifth season of The Masked Singer on Fox at 7. Following it at 8, the all-new show Game of Talents is on. Some movie selections for tonight, a pair of action thrillers come on at 7, Law Abiding Citizen on AMC, and The Born Identity on BBC. You can take the girl out of Alabama, but you can't take the Alabama out of the girl. Sweet Home Alabama is on Freeform at 6.30. We're full-fledged into conference tournaments in college basketball. Kansas State versus TCU in the Big 12 tournament at 5.30 on ESPN. Also at 5.30, but in the ACC, Duke versus Louisville on ACC Network. Minnesota and Northwestern open up the Big 10 tournament on Big 10 Network. Moving to 6, Texas A&M and Vanderbilt start off the SEC tournament on SEC Network. At 8, on ACC Network, Notre Dame versus North Carolina. Penn State and Nebraska will be on Big 10 Network as well. At 8.30, Iowa State and number 25, Oklahoma, wrap up the night. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV today tonight so gentlemen what will you guys be partaking in tonight on television if you think that i'm watching anything else other than texas a&m and vanderbilt at seven eastern over the max mask singer you would be insane it may be the greatest basketball game ever played tonight (laughs) the question is first team to 20 wins it's not. <laughs> Whoever gets to twenty first hey, wins. That's football that's, too, man. That's football that is too. True. Especially in this year's this season year's opener, gosh, man. I was doing a show at the time called Running the Point. It was a kind of a TV show that went on social media, and um, I was doing superlatives after week one, and I called Texas A and M most accident prone. If you think <laughs> after that many fumbles from Kellen Mond, you think I want that guy helping me on moving day or eating on my couch? Forget about it. Not happening. If you're t- that game's not even going to be the best game on tonight. You can witness history if you want to watch basketball over the mass singer. I don't know why you would do that, but if you want to watch history, you're going to see the future NCAA college basketball championship tonight in action against Louisville in the ACC uh, tournament. They are getting on a run. They forgot about that. They beat Boston College. <laughs> get right game. Louisville revenge game. We're going next to Florida State. Frauds. Leonard Hamilton and the boys ain't got it. Get North, Car- on. North Carolina, revenge game. Virginia, frauds. And this, guess You're what? You're making me really want to root against Duke tonight. And now just Duke to is see in the, the tournament. Failure. But if you don't want to watch basketball, the mass singer, they have a new character they do, they're debuting called Kaloodal Dew. It is someone, it's a random celebrity that nobody knows who they are, who is in a rooster costume who gives you clues and red herrings throughout the mass Singer season to try to throw people off the trail, try to get people guessing. You got the chameleon playing tonight. You've got some monster, the cool-looking thing. Oh, Grandpa Monster, that one looks cool. You also got the Phoenix, that one looks awesome. Oh, I'm so excited. The Russian doll. Oh, I'm so excited for the mass Singer, guys. Kaludu sounds like a uh, Texas A&M small forward. Sounds like something that you would see. Interesting. I'd anyway. love to see Kaludu play basketball for Texas A&M Aggies. I'd like to see it. All right, let's wrap up the show here. Slot receiver, Auburn A-Day depth chart series, what we think the wide receiver room will look like going into A-Day this year. We moved on to slot now. This is the last big receiver that we haven't done yet. Xavion Capers, for me, is the number one guy. I think he's going to line up a slot. That's primarily where he's been at at this time. I could also see him lining up on the outside at either the X or the Z, primarily probably the X. He's six foot four. He's a big guy. 
he doesn't strike me as a deep threat because I, I don't I'm just not blown away by his speed. I mean he's fast, but I'm not just like blown away by his like top end speed. I think Canyon maybe even fits that role more than he does. Once again on my notes I have here for Elijah Canyon, is there even a more natural physical fit than Canyon at the axe? I don't even think Capers is more of a natural fit at the axe than Canyon is. But I think we could see Capers at the slot in kind of a, a big slot possession, intermediate, short pass a game type of role who could really make some linebackers and nickelbacks look silly. I agree. And just to to go off of that point, you talk about him not, not, not necessarily being a guy who can stretch the field, looking on SEC StatCat. Again, just the small sample size that we have of Capers, the four passes past 20 yards that were accurate balls were incomplete, that were thrown Capers' way. Again, go back to look at, okay, what did he do in the middle of the field? He had five of his nine completions inside 10 to 20 yards right there in the middle of the field so I agree with you I think he's going to start at the slot I think you are going to see him in maybe somewhat of a possession receiver type role uh, maybe kind of like Ryan Davis was where he would do all those drags and a little intermediate stuff down the middle I think you're going to see him play a similar role similar role to that yeah I agree I think I mean I think it's going to be him at the slot right there I think he's the guy who's not wowing you anywhere else but I think he's talented enough to get on there and I think that's where you're going to see him end up starting so with me and Lance's uh, picks over here, we don't even have Shed Jackson starting. No, actually, now that I think about it, breaks my heart. We're anti Shed Jackson on this side don't, of the table. Don't I guess. say anti that. Anti Shed Jackson. I would just. That's say, a little bit of a step too far. I don't sir. mean. I don't mean like anti is in like I don't want him to succeed. I don't want him on the field. I'm just saying just that we're. Not, anti- you, just, you just don't like my take. I get it. I'm just anti him starting. It's time to shine, gentlemen. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts going into a day and then say that ten start. times fast. Good luck. Not right now. I'm not even not right now. Yeah, not right now. <laughs> not right now. But yeah. uh, my number two guy here is Kayla Newton. All about experience. We've primarily seen him. Really, only we've seen him out of the slot. I think this coaching staff is really going to value his experience. Really, I don't think he gets on the field a lot because once again, I think Auburn's versatility at wide receiver is going to allow them to rotate Capers, Hudson, Jackson, and Canyon to different spots. But Newton is. I said that very weird. Newton is the oldest of the backups, so that can mean something to Harson and him get in maybe over Javarius Johnson or Malcolm Johnson Jr. So I could see Newton generating some playing time just from that element of it and from a culture standpoint. We've left guys off of this list, like J.J. Evans. I didn't go 3D because those guys will not touch the field. I mean, I think we're forgetting a big guy in Ben Patton. I mean, he's the backup Who? place. Uh, ben Patton, he's the backup place kicker for Auburn. He's 5'1", is what I'm thinking, 5'10". I can't really tell, 190 pounds. You know, Auburn really loves to just throw guys out there who have no business playing wide receiver. Yeah, what slot kicker's position. catching a pass this year? <laughs> so, I mean, we'll just throw <laughs> Ben Patton out there. Ask. We'll throw Ben Patton out there because they loved it so much with throwing Will Hastings you know, out there for no reason. So, whatever. I can see them doing this, too. I, so, I can see Newton uh, being the backup in the slot. I can also see a guy... Just based off of size alone, I can see a guy like Javaris Johnson at 5'9 lining up at the slot. That's a Ryan Davis at, type. I don't see him doing much else at 5'9. Yeah. It so. just makes well, more sense. Well, that's a Ryan Davis position. Yeah. Ryan Davis was that small, and all he did was run drag routes. Right. It makes sense for a guy like that to play. But I, I think, especially going into A day, I think it's going to be Kayla Newton you know, being that number two, just based off of experience alone, which kind of goes against what I've said about Cedric Jackson not starting, which he might be starting going at A-Day, but not, might not be throughout the season. So there's your A-Day depth chart series. That was our look at wide receiver. Gentlemen, we got about 40 seconds left before we get out of here. Quick predictions tonight. SEC tournament getting started. Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, 6 p.m. SEC Network. What I'm, you got? I'm going to go with Vanderbilt simply because they played a lot more games, more experienced, better offensively. I just don't see A&M scoring over 
55 tonight. They also A&M also missed a lot of time from playing basketball. Well, they've played two games recently after missing yeah. like nine games. We've seen how that impacts team. We saw it with Baylor a few weeks ago losing to Kansas. They've I'm, played nine SEC games compared to everybody else at 17 or 18. I think Vanderbilt's got it. I'm in agreement. That was my bracket prediction when we made ours yesterday. Vanderbilt, I like their offense. It's sneaky. And Stackhouse has got them playing better ball. That does it for another edition of On the Line, the drive Bill Cameron. Coming up after us here at 4 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.